Amen. Amen. Welcome to Lindsay Lane North. Man, it is great to be in front of you again. If you weren't here last week, uh, Andy John was here. I was at uh, East. And so we shuffled the deck a little bit with the pastors just to uh, give every, uh, every church the opportunity to hear from the different pastors. We'll do that again from time to time. And you won't know when we're doing it from time to time, uh, just like you did last time. So uh, we are excited to do that. We're excited about what God's doing. We just came back from our marriage uh, marriage weekend, so I know we had we were well represented there. My North, many uh, men and women were there for the marriage weekend. We had a blast at the Westin, a lot of fun playing top golf, which our men may or may not be very accomplished golf players, uh, but. Uh, the ladies were fine. The, the guys, not so much. So I hurt my shoulder because I'm officially old now. So like anything I do that has any form of aerobic activity whatsoever, I, I injure myself and uh, get hurt. But uh, man, we are so glad that you're here today. If you are visiting with us, man, we are so thankful for you. Uh, as Will mentioned, the Connect card, I want to let you know as well, we've got a gift for you. So the Next Steps table, if you walk out that door immediately to your left, is the Next Steps table. If you're visiting with us, man, we want uh, to connect with you. The guy, the person that'll be working our Next Steps table has a gift for you. It's a free mug, and we've got some information on our church as well. So we would love to get that in your hands, and that's no strings attached. But let us know that you were here because we do want to follow up, and we do very, very much appreciate uh, you for coming. So we're in our last week of the series on I Promise, and we can't, we can't leave the Old Testament covenants without talking about the New Covenant. And so we've traced our way through the history of the Old Testament all the way till now where we find ourselves in the New Covenant. Anybody under the age of 25 ever used one of these? Okay, we got some hands raised. That's, I, I'm kind of shocked, to be honest with you, kind of shocked. This is how the cavemen used to navigate the world. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is an atlas. And by the way, I did not know, Barnes & Noble, you can still buy these. I think it is the least frequented uh, place in the world uh, is the atlas section of Barnes & Noble. But you can find them. Uh, you also pay dearly for them, apparently. So uh, I brought this here because uh, who likes to travel? Anybody like to travel? Okay, I don't. Can I just be honest with you? I don't like to travel. I like to arrive. When you've got three kids, there is no such thing as fun travel, all right? I, I can't stand it. Uh, I hate traveling. I, uh, our worship pastor may or may not have went on a trip to the West Coast, and the entire time it was revolving around travel. Um, they also had no kids at the time, and so I don't know that they'll do that again. But I, I can't wrap my brain around why, like, you just want to go somewhere. I like to arrive at a place. So I've always said, like, my, my ideal vacation is get there as quick as possible. Airplane, space shuttle, it get there as quick as possible, and then let me enjoy my time there, and then get me back as quick as possible. Because travel uh, is just... I just, I just don't enjoy it. And so uh, when I remember when I was a kid, my parents using a, a map, uh, which is actually a lot less responsible than this. This is not too bad as you open them up. Uh, some of those folding maps, 
I, they, they have them too, by the way, that take up like this entire stage. I mean, I kid you not, I needed my wife to help me unravel the, the atlas, the map for the United States. It was crazy. And I can remember my parents like stretching it out on the hood of their car when we were hopelessly lost, like trying to figure out where to go and where we were and, and the roads. Uh, but this is how they used to navigate. Now we have some lady, sometimes in a British accent, that tells us how to get to where we're going. Uh, But when we would travel as a kid, we would lay out something that looked kind of like this. This was a map. This was uh, our route. And so being the good parents that my parents were, we don't do this as much, mostly because we travel all the time to Mobile. Um, But we would put, they would put together this route and we would have to look for different things along the the journey. Uh, And so if we were to go to Gulf Shores from Elkmont, Alabama, that is what I drew out for you through the great state of Alabama. This is, we would start way up here in, in Elkmont and we would make our way all the way down and and oftentimes we would we would include landmarks uh, along the way and so when you're traveling through Elkmont uh, and you you get on the interstate eventually you'll drive by Huntsville right now Huntsville's not your destination obviously uh, but you have to go through it in order to get to where you're going, to get to your destination. And so uh, we would have our kids and, and we would have them looking for the big bridge going over to Decatur and, and those sorts of things that they found were fun. Well, you keep driving, obviously, down 65, and we would map this out. If anywhere you went, you'd, you'd map these things out. Uh, and you're eventually going to find yourself in Birmingham. And every family that has kids know, now you've stopped 17 times between here because every, every kid takes turn going to the bathroom. Uh, but you eventually, hours later, find yourself in Birmingham, which every family knows. What do you look for in Birmingham? That's right. Look for Vulcan. And so they always look for the man on the mountain. That's what my boys look for. And so you keep traveling down, again, making multiple stops. Uh, and you get yourself to Montgomery. Sometimes you can smell it before you arrive, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You get to our state capitol, you're looking around, you find the Bass Pro Shops, which, I mean, we're going to go to, uh, right? Because it's a great exit. And go to the Bass Pro Shops there in Montgomery. You drive on down, and then you start, things start changing a little bit, right? You get to exit 37. Now, again, this is a dated map. I'm sure you can get there a quicker way now with all the expressways and everything. But exit 37 is the Baymanette exit. And there you get excited because you start seeing some palm trees that they've planted. And, and the sand is more prevalent than dirt. And you're like, man, this is, this is looking pretty good, right? Everything is, everything is warmer, more humid if you're traveling down in the summer. But you're still not there. So you find yourself on a trip to your destination. You find yourself in other locations, but those aren't the destinations. In fact, I would say that if your trip ended in Baymanette, that's a problem, right? If you're trying to get to Gulf Shores and you're you're cut short and you don't make it to Gulf Shores and you just stay in Baymanette, something catastrophic has happened. Why? Because in travel, though you find yourself in other places, you're headed to a destination, This is the same idea that we have in the Old Testament. We find these covenants. God makes a covenant with Noah. Telling him to be fruitful and multiply his image over the face of the earth. That Noah, made in the image of God, is to multiply God's image to the face of the earth. That's where they find themselves. But it's not the destination. 
To progress further in history, you come across the, the age of the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God makes a promise and a covenant with Abraham. And he tells him, Abraham, through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. So Abraham knows that there's promises that are going to come down through his lineage. Again, it's where they are, but it's not the destination. And each week we have held up in these cities. We've held up in these areas, having not arrived at the destination that God has for us. He would again make a covenant with Moses. If you're to be my people, you must look a certain way because I am holy. And you just can't look like everybody else. You can't just be like everyone else because I am holy. You must be holy as well. And so he gives us the law, which man transgresses, right? Man, man breaks. And then he gives us where we were last week, the Davidic covenant. God instilling in the heart of one man, because he is a man after his heart, promising David multiple things, right? A throne, promise him a throne forever. You will sit, someone from your lineage will sit on the throne of David forever, right? That he will reign forever. God would give him rest. And all of these things happen But the problem is, they don't stay that way. And so where we pick up today, this is in Jeremiah chapter 31, where we pick up today, the nation of Israel is going through chaos. I mean, this is chaos. In fact, for them to have seen the Davidic covenant, to hear all the promises that God lays out, it is a systematic undressing of the Davidic covenant. Everything they thought was the way that it was, was different. And everything that was promised through David, God almost seems to be taking away. The nation of Israel finds himself in a period of incredible difficulty. I don't think it's by accident that we can relate to that struggle. Facing what we faced this week, what this community faced, what families in our community faced, what students in our schools faced. The nation of Israel found themselves in a similar heartbroken situation. Not over the loss of somebody, but over a loss of their entire way of life. Their entire way of life was gone. They were in exile. They were being taken away into exile. But in the middle of that, we see the perfection of the promise. Today we will study the new covenant of God. Not dependent on the other covenants that failed, again, like our travel. Not Huntsville or Decatur or or Birmingham or Montgomery or... Not these momentary places, but the destination. Where all of these things are headed. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the new covenant reported. The new covenant reported. Can I pray for us? Father, your word is truth. God, expose us to that truth today. 
Let us receive it and let our lives be different as a result of your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is the New Covenant reported. What we are reading here, literally the nation of Babylon has come against Jerusalem, come against Judah, the lower kingdom. The upper kingdom is already gone. They've already been taken away. And they are coming against Jerusalem. They are laying siege to the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a fortified city. It's a, it's a palace. It is a, it is a, a fortified, it is a fortress, a stronghold. And so it takes multiple years for Jerusalem to actually fall. But at this point, when we find Jeremiah 31, Jerusalem is about to fall. It is, they are about to be led into exile and their demise is imminent. But listen to what the prophet Jeremiah has to say. This is the new covenant reported. This is what God is going to do. If we had to assign a question to it, what is God going to do? Listen to what it says in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Remember, in the middle of just the stripping away of all the other covenants and all the other blessings that they've experienced, all of those are leaving as they are being led into exile. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is different than the covenant I made before. Although they went through that period, it was not the destination that I had in mind. I am making a new covenant with the house of Israel. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In every covenant, every single one, we see relationship. God offering his people relationship despite their sin. In verse 34, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Israel's history proved that external obedience would never be the way that they would receive the blessings of God. Israel was not capable of living a life of perfection. They could not do it. It was demanded in the Mosaic law to be holy, to be perfect. And when you're not, you perform these things in order to cover sin. But this is what it looks like to be God's people. And Israel, time and time again, fell woefully short. One of my friends uh, used to say that if for no other reason the Old Testament serves as a perfect picture for us to understand that we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. We were ill-equipped. We are ill-equipped to provide salvation on our own. And so God makes a way. This roadmap that we are headed on, right, is leading us to a place of dependence. I played football all through school, and I'll never forget my first two-a-day. 
Now, they don't do those anymore. And some of you men in here may be going, get on my level. We had three a days, to which I would applaud you and say they don't make them like they used to. All right, you're welcome. But I remember my first two a day. It was in Mentone, Alabama. Tootie Hill was the name of our coach. That's a real name. It was a nickname, but that was his name, Coach Hill. And he took the Meridianville Middle School Eagles football team to Mentone, Alabama. Now, there's a lot of cool things about Mentone. The most importantly, a zip line that went off of a cliff into a river. That was cool. Never done it before. We did awesome things like we ate an entire hog. That was amazing. But what I don't remember most about Mentone was not the fun we had. I remember the work we put in. Specifically, I remember the volleyball court. Now, the volleyball, they had a sand volleyball court in this large open area where we would conduct our practices. And two-a-days is two practices a day. You wake up first thing in the morning and you practice. You do planning and scheming and whatever, game planning. You have a little rec time. You eat, you know, and then you go back to practice in the afternoon. That was what two-a-days were. And it's as fun as it sounds, right? It was, it was work. It was hard. And I remember the sand volleyball court because I remember having the most exfoliated skin I've ever had in my whole life, my, sev- my seventh grade year, of that camp. Because we worked under, we would hit each other, and whoever lost would like accumulating a sandbox in their, in their shoulder pads, right? Every crevice of my body had a little bit of sand in it. And really for the rest of the season, they had a little bit of sand in those pads for the rest of the season. Uh, but I remember one thing in particular that we did. We took a sled took a blocking sled. It was a five-man sled, and it's designed to help linemen to to fire off the ball and to drive people off the ball. And he brought us up one by one. Each lineman, one by one, got an opportunity to hit the sled. It was a five-man sled, and it was underneath in that sandy pit. And we were to fire off the ball, and our, our command was, from our coach, was we had to drive it out of the court. So we get up. One by one by one, every single one of us trying to drive this sled out of the court. There wasn't a single one of us that even budged the sled. It was a five-man sled. It's a heavy joker, made of iron. I mean, it was a heavy, heavy thing. We couldn't budge it. Over and over, multiple reps we would have to try to move this sled. And finally, after we realized there was nothing any one of us could do to move it, the coach sat us down, talked to us about teamwork, and then he allowed five men to attack the sled, at which we very easily then at that point moved it out of the way. You see, we had to realize that we were incapable in and of ourselves to complete that task. There are things in life, what I love about sports is it teaches us there are things in life that are more important than you and are bigger than just you and you have to work together in order to accomplish it. Listen to the the lesson that God was teaching Israel through this. And this is in your notes. Because the problem was within man, the solution had to come from outside man. The problem Israel had was something that they honestly and truthfully just could not accomplish on their own. In the same way that a a small middle school prepubescent teenager could not push a five-man sled, in the same way Israel was completely incapable of reaching relationship with God outside of outside help. 
once they received the out, it was only through the intervention of somebody or something that they could ever provide salvation for themselves. And the problem was not because Israel had sin. You see, I'll have parents a lot of times come and talk to me about students. When I was a youth pastor, I'd talk to them about students, and they can't believe all the things that their students are into and the bad things that the students are doing. And I'll remind the parents in love that those things aren't the problem. See, the problem is not what we see on the outside. The problem is what's on the inside. It wasn't Israel's sin that was the problem. It wasn't their idolatry. It wasn't their running after other gods. It wasn't their chasing of foreign women. It wasn't those sorts of things. It was the fact that their heart was bent toward evil. The Bible tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one, and their sin found them in a place of helplessness. But God's promise, they are feeling plenty helpless. As I was sitting there beside the the sand pit, feeling helpless to move that thing, the people of Israel were feeling helpless to improve their situation. They see all the covenants of God seemingly, all the blessings of those covenants falling to pieces around them. And Jeremiah gives them this promise. The first thing is that God would place his law upon the heart of man. Where was God's law before this time? Let my people go. Stone tablets, right? Charleston Heston, right? Y'all got it? Some of you don't, and that that dates me, and that's scary because I'm not old enough to be dated. All right? (laughs) Charleston Heston, right? He, they, they, they get the tablets of stone. They have the law, amongst other things. But you have the Ten Commandments, a bunch, a ton of other rules. It's written down. It's in an external document somewhere. This is how you are to live their life. But God says, I will write my law inside the heart of man. He says that they can know me. They, you don't have to say, hey, know God, because they are make, God is making a way for them to know God, not to know of God. My friend, if you know of God, congratulations, you are in the same category as the devil. The Bible says that, that Satan and his angels know God, that they believe he exists, and they tremble. It's not about knowledge of God, but it is a knowledge of who God is. And he is giving himself, as these people are being led into exile in their their incredible sadness, God is telling them there's a purpose. There's a purpose and we're headed to a destination. And listen, that's hard to hear in tragedy, but God has a purpose. God has a reason. And we'll see what his reason was in just a moment for the new covenant. But knowledge of God, but also he promises something that was revolutionary. He said, I will forgive their sin and I will remember it no more. You see, there was significant law that was pointed toward how to deal with sin. Because Israel had sin, they had to do certain things. They had to keep up certain legalistic, ritualistic demands. They had to make sacrifices, among other things. They had to make sacrifices. The word in the Old Testament that we call that is atonement. They were making atonement for sin. And so the word in Hebrew used over and over and over again is translated atonement. 
The word atonement literally means to cover. They were covering their sin. And so the problem was when they would sin again, guess what they needed to do again? Atone it. Atone for it. They needed to cover it. What God was saying was not atonement. We see a New Testament picture of a different word. The word is propitiation. It's used multiple times in the New Testament. But in the ESV, at least, there is not, you cannot find the word atonement in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament word. It's the covering of sin. What we find in the New Testament is the word propitiation, which means not the covering of sin, but the removal of sin. The doing away with sin. The pacifying of God's wrath for sin. And we see it through Jesus But they are just hearing it. They're hearing it for the first time that God will forgive their sins. But despite this promise, Israel still goes into exile. They still experience consequences. Understand, this is for free. This doesn't, it's not really related to anything we'll talk about. But just because you experience consequences for your sin does not mean that God hasn't forgiven. And just because God has forgiven you doesn't mean that you won't experience physical consequences. Don't mistake those two. Don't mistake those two because our sin leads to consequences. And so the people of Israel had to go into exile for 70 years. They went into exile. But look secondly at the new covenant reaffirmed. If the covenant reported was What God was going to do, what we find in the work of Ezekiel is why God is going to do the work. This is written by the prophet Ezekiel while while the people are in Babylon. This is Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, we find another very important passage on the New Testament, on the New Covenant. So in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, listen what it says. Therefore... Thus say to the house of Israel, the people that are living in bondage, this is happening while they are in exile. Ezekiel was a prophet while the people of God were in exile. And he says, say to them, those that are gathered in Babylon, those that are scattered to neighboring countries and foreign countries, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it's for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. And I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave you. Gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Because 
This is what happened in Israel. Israel believed they were outside of the consequences of their own actions, and so they acted that way. They acted in sin, and they rebelled against God. And as a result, they were taken captive by the people. So the people who were God's own possession were taken captive. And so what we see in Ezekiel is a desire of God to act, not because the people of Israel were experiencing consequences for their sin. That's not why he is going to act. What does he say? What's the reason he gives them? I'm going to act for the sake of... Of my name. You, Israel, bear my name with you wherever you go. And you being imprisoned, you being in exile, you living outside of the promises, says something to the nations about me. And so it's not for your sake, you're experiencing consequences that you deserve, but it's for my name's sake I am going to act. When we experience difficulty, and trials, and tribulations. What we need to understand is we are not the end in and of ourselves. To see ourselves as the sole determiner of why things happen is the epitome of hubris and pride. But when we're in our difficulty, whatever that looks like, Financial hardship, physical hardship, um, uh, medical hardship in the season that we're in as a country, uh, political hard, whatever we find ourselves in, we are not the end and of ourselves. But God is working things for his eternal purpose. I can't make sense of the events of this last week. But I know God has a plan for it. Israel was going through it, but God had a plan through it. And you may say, well, gosh, he's motivated for his name. Well, that's selfish. To which I would respond, what better person in the, world, in, in the universe to be selfish but God, but perfect God, right? But it's not just that because Israel was accomplishing something through one people group that would reach the entire nations. What did, what did he say there? It's not for your sake that I'm acting, but it's for the sake of the nations that are watching and that are thinking things about me that are not true. Why? Because the plan from the very beginning, one of the, one of the towns on the road to this, right, was Abraham when he said, Abraham, through you and your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God's plan was for the nations. From this point, he had blessed a people. He's saying, I'm blessing this people again because my plan is to reach the nations. God is in the business of using suffering, redeeming suffering to make a difference that is greater than any of us. I've already seen it happened. I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in my own testimony where God has taken things that the enemy would mean to destroy with and God has used them for the good outside of me as an individual. And God has used to reach the nations. God has used for his eternal purpose. God has redeemed. And so in your notes, because of God's plan to reach the nations, he would restore a nation. The nation of Israel would be restored, not because of anything they've done. They didn't deserve it. 
But because God desired to reach the nations, because God desired to reach every people group, God gave them and restored the nation. The wording was, I will vindicate my holiness, right? I will redeem my name. I will make my name great. People will see my salvation because I'm bringing salvation to the world. He promised rejuvenation. God promised that he would make the people of Israel clean. To this point, they had never really been clean. Noah was not really clean. Uh, Abraham was not really clean. Moses was not really clean. These are finite men. David, we know his sin, right? These men were not clean in and of themselves. But God said, I'm going to make you clean. Well, how in the world are you going to do that, God? That's what he promises. Rejuvenation, I'm making you clean. He doesn't just promise that, he promised renovation. He says, I'm going to throw out your old heart and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to get rid of your old spirit. I'm going to put in you my spirit. We're in the middle of renovating our house. You know what that requires a lot of? Ripping out of old stuff and putting in of new stuff and spending a lot of money apparently, right? That's what that means. And so he's saying, I'm doing away with your old heart. I'm putting within you a new heart. And at this time, it's all foggy. It's all unclear. But these are the promises of God. And finally, he says, I'm going to give you restoration. I'm restoring you to the place of promise. And more importantly than that, I'm restoring you to my relationship again. I'm giving you, you are my people. You will be my people and I will be your God. I can't deal with the sin in between us. And so I'm going to do something about it. Thirdly and finally, we find the new covenant revealed. The entire Old Testament, it ends with seeing nothing of this take place. The nation of Israel sees nothing. They get returned back to Israel, but they're still under the power of a foreign leader. Right? They, they, they experience some of this stuff, but it's nothing like what God promises, leading to the question of how. We've talked about what God was going to do, and we've talked about why God is going to do it. But how is God going to accomplish this? Just like as we travel, we find ourselves in places for a temporary moment. We find the people of Israel in places for a temporary time in history. But it's leading to a destination that we find in Christ. And so we're going to do a little bit of Bible drill here, okay? If you're following along, get your Bible out, get ready. You know, salute, get ready. Like, I forget the way that I used to be in Bible drill, and I forget the terminology now. But get ready, because we're going to be there. We're going to be in a couple verses, but it's going to be on the screen as well, so you can follow along. Write them down if you want to take notes, because we're going to see exactly how God fulfills the new covenant. He does it in the person of Jesus. He does it through Christ. Christ doesn't do away with the old covenants. He is the perfection and the fulfillment of them. In the Noahic Covenant, Colossians chapter 1 is our first, is our first reference. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. The Noahic Covenant, the covenant God made with Noah was all about his image. Fill the earth with my image. The problem was they were sinful. And so even though they, they did bear the image of God, the image of God was distorted. And so as they grew and multiplied, sin got more and more prevalent, and the image of God got more and more distorted. 
But listen what we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Speaking of Christ, this is what it says. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Man messed up and tarnished God's image with our sin and our selfishness and our pride. So it took a man who in fact was not just man, but was the perfect God-man to come and to show us what the image of God looked like. He redeemed his image from the Noahic covenant. Again, not the destination. Noah was not the destination, but it looked forward to one who would restore his image forever. Look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. Revelation 7. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. What was the blessing? Through you and your seed will all the nations of the world be blessed. The entire Old Testament is a history, really, of the Jewish people, of of the nation of Israel. It's not of a whole lot of nations. It's of one people group. So how would that change? Through Christ... He doesn't just call you. He doesn't just call a people group. The Bible says Jesus told his disciples, right? Acts 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Go ye therefore into all nations, Matthew 19. All nations. Why? Because Christ has come. These ethnic Boundaries no longer exist. They are done away with in Christ. Until we get to the end and listen to this hootenanny of a good time. You ready? Revelation chapter 7. That's a lick skillet word, by the way. Verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God provided salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but for all the world, praise God. For all the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation will celebrate. And what do they celebrate? The salvation that is purchased for them through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 12-14. The Mosaic Covenant, right? You need to act a certain way. You need to abide by a certain religion, a certain religious amount of religious duty, right? You've got to look differently from the world. You need to make these sacrifices to me continually to atone, to cover for sin. Listen to Hebrews 10. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. (laughs) Single the priests are offering multiple. Every time you see him, you got to cover it again. He sat down at the right hand of God. 
waiting from that time until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If I want to be right before God in the Jewish system, under the, Jew, under the old covenants, I must make sacrifices for sin as it's laid out in the Mosaic law. But Christ didn't come and continually offer sacrifices over and over for sin. He came with a perfect sacrifice. Jesus came with his own blood. The Bible talks about, Hebrews talks about him being our high priest forever. He made one sacrifice for sin. And because of the perfection of that sacrifice, Jesus sat down. His job was complete. It was over. The work of salvation, guys, we don't have to earn it. We, there's a matter of fact, there's nothing we could do to earn it. That's great news. Old Testament, right? We can earn it. But God offers it through Jesus. He is the more perfect sacrifice, and he is the high priest of the Mosaic law. But it doesn't end there. Luke 1, 32-33. God also made a promise to David, right, that you would see he would sit on the throne forever. But guess what happened to his son, Solomon? Solomon died. Guess what happened to Solomon's son, Rehoboam? He died. Guess what happened to Rehoboam's kid? He died. Guess what happened to that kid? He died. Over and over and over. You can't sit on a throne forever if you're dead, right? That that can't happen. Listen to the promise made through Gabriel to Mary. He will be great. Luke 1, 32-33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He'll be given the throne of his David. And it's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And he will reign over forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We are here gathered, church, as a celebration of the kingdom that is ongoing, that is reigning and ruling in Christ. We are here as a result. We have experienced his salvation. If you're here and you have a relationship with Christ, then you've experienced that salvation. He's done what you couldn't do. And he's made a way for eternal life. But then finally, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. Because the promise of the new covenant is, I will write my law on their hearts. I'll write it on their hearts. Well, how does that happen? How does God do that? How does he get his law in here? Instead of it being on tablets of stone, how does he get his law in our hearts? Listen to 2 Corinthians. And you show, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. You, church, show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. My friend, if you would but answer to the invitation that God is making and pleading for you today to make, if you would be reconciled to God, if you would enter relationship with Him, 
Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. And when Christ changes our heart, again, yeah, we found ourselves in religion. We found ourselves in these other places, right? Because of the fall, we found ourselves. God has, has moved and God has worked in his people. But it's all pointing to the destination that is a real relationship with Christ. Not born out of religious demands, but born out of the love of Christ for you and for me. And he changes us. He changes us from the inside out. As our, uh, the former pastor of Lindsay Lane used to say, he changes your want to. He changes your desires. He makes you new. You're a new creature in him. Through what Christ has done for us. He is the destination. He's the point of everything that we read leading up to him. And the same invitation exists to you. Would you respond to this love today? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? God has made himself available to you through his son. He is the destination. He is the substance. The rest were a shadow of things to come. In Christ we find the substance. Listen, if you're here today, and it's not about how many sins you've committed. It's not about things that you've done wrong. It's not about weighing the good with the bad. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're in that category. You're a sinner. You're a sinner like I was. You're a sinner like everyone in this room was and is. Right? They, we have fallen. We've broken God's rule. We've, we couldn't live up to the religious demands of these other covenants. And so God made a way would respond in faith and trust to him if you would receive his gift of forgiveness the bible says if you will confess your sins to him he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you're willing to surrender your life to christ today he offers to give you his life in return real relationship purpose of what you're going through or experiencing in your family in your in your workplace in your school in your personal life is to bring you to a place of brokenness so that you would respond to his invitation to a God who loves you and loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you you can have forgiveness for your sins renovated and restored today. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to him. We've got, we've got counselors here at the front would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make for Christ. If you realize that you don't have that relationship, his invitation is offered to you today. You can respond today. Right there in the quietness of your own heart, you can make the decision to commit your life to Christ forever. You can do that right where you are. 
I would encourage you to make that decision right now. God, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know all the details, but I'm giving you my life for you to do with it as you please. And he says that he'll offer it. He'll give it, give it to you. But what we want you to do, what we'd encourage you to do is we have counselors that are here would love to talk to you about these decisions, this decision that you've made today. Or any decision. Maybe you need to Maybe you know that you're a child of God and maybe you need to join what God is doing in a church somewhere. And listen, I don't care if it's Lindsay Lane North. I don't care if it's somewhere else. Maybe God's pulling you, drawing you to a church that you can link arms with to make a difference in the kingdom of God. There's a purpose for you, child of God. If you have a relationship with Christ, there's a purpose for you. The purpose for you is to live for the nations, to live for those that are lost, that are outside of relationship with Him. And we would love to point you in Whatever decision you need to make today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. As soon as I say amen, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come find this center aisle. Find me here at the front. I'd love to get you with a counselor that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your invitation. God, may we respond to it. Be obedient to it. boldness. In your name we pray. Amen. With every head and heart still bowed, if that's you and you made a decision for Christ today, nobody's looking around. Nobody's looking around. I, but I want to give you a time to physically respond. I, I want you to, if, if nobody, nobody's looking around, I want you, if you've made a decision today or would like to make any decision today, would you just stand to your feet? Would you come to the center aisle? Would you find me? I'd love to get you paired up with somebody that can talk to you about this relationship and can follow up with you, can begin you on this journey toward Christ or whatever next steps needs to happen. Would you do that today? If that's you and you made a decision for Christ today, would you just stand? Nobody's looking around. Would you stand and would you respond to Christ today? No one else goes with you, would you? online. Thank you for being a part of our service. There's a way for you to respond as well in this initial post, whether you're watching Facebook Live or on YouTube, on this initial post, there's a link to our Connect card. If you'll click that link, we would love to get you, that'll give you access to our Connect card. Let us know on that card, hey, I made a decision for Christ, or hey, I'd like to talk to a pastor, or I'd like to be baptized. Whatever decision you made, uh, mark it on that card, submit that, we'll get that, and we will follow up with you this week. For those of you that are in this room, those connect cards are a way as well. If you've made a decision, for whatever reason you didn't respond, there's a way for you to communicate that with us on those connect cards. Let us know. Mark, check that box. I've, I've, I've made that decision, or I'd like to, or I'd like to talk to someone about it, and we would love to follow up with you. You can drop it in the bucket as you leave on the right on your way out the door. But don't let this moment pass without doing business with God. Whatever it is that He's laid on your heart. Father, we love you, and we thank you for love us and desire a relationship with us. God, we recognize you don't need us. We have proven, our track record proves that you don't need us. But God, as we seek to find your purpose for our life, may we respond in obedience to you. And Lord, I pray for our lives to look different as a result.